This is CliffCentral.com. We need to get to a place where Bitcoin is no longer this this mysterious thing that is scary to the regulators and to business. It becomes something that business embraces. One of the ideas often spoken about in the context of a global decentralized currency is the notion of being your own bank. But how practical is this really and what's needed to make it a reality? Lorian Gamarov is the guy who can answer all of these questions. The Decrypto series is sponsored by Luno, Africa's first cryptocurrency platform. Lorian Gamarov has spoken at TED at TEDx in Lausanne, and he spoke about the virtues of cryptocurrency, which is quite an interesting take on something that's viewed by some people to be everything except virtuous. I probably agree with him on a lot of these things, and maybe you will too. But Lorian, it's a pleasure to have you here. I heard your story about your origins in Zim and watching that currency become completely debased by a government. And how, for you, cryptocurrency represented almost a way of doing things better and doing things differently. And how it can be used for good. The story of a small rural community that really was struggling. And the inability of any amount of money to filter down the right way to help the actual people in that community. Could be answered by the value that bitcoin represents and and not just bitcoin but perhaps other cryptocurrencies too it's a pleasure to meet you nice to talk to you thanks gareth it's nice to be here so when you bring up zim a lot of people go well that's a failure of government but the failure of government also led to a failure of the economy which led to a failure for people who weren't responsible at all in terms of all the value that they'd accumulated or even some of the value that they'd accumulated over sometimes very many years and ruined lives. So cryptocurrency, is is this for you the way to circumvent that problem? Is it a way to cut out bad things for people who really don't deserve to be tarred with the brush of bad people and bad governments? Yes. Uh, you know, when I thought of the title for the TED Talk, um, you know, I've been involved in Bitcoin for a long time and I've been very dismayed at whenever we – all the stories that you saw in the media was all about drug dealing and money laundering and so on. Mm. And, um, you know, I've been excited about this purely from the whole notion that Bitcoin was always meant to be the sound money. And uh, having watched Zimbabwe have their currency collapse, you know, it was clear to me that Bitcoin was going to solve this kind of problem. And also um, I wanted to – to try and show people that, look, it's not all bad. You know, of course, currency can be used for nefarious things, but uh, there are very many things that it can be used for that are good, specifically when it comes to money debasement, but also how do you move money seamlessly and efficiently and cost-effectively cross-border and so on uh, and transparently, and, and that's what Bitcoin has always represented to me. It seems to me that that on the face of it, people would get that, that – while it isn't virtuous, it certainly isn't by definition evil. I mean, a leather sofa can be used for evil or for good. Um, it just about anything can. What What is it about the opportunities that cryptocurrency represents that for you is especially virtuous? Well, its primary 
use case, which is sound money. And, uh, you know, I think this is what a lot of people uh, think wrongly, that uh, this is something that's going to destroy central banking and destroy banks. And um, I think that's a misguided view. Uh, uh, certainly, it will change the way governments think about money, giving them a constraint in, in how much money they can create. To me, that's a sound economic principle. So um, I would like to to sort of pursue that vision of bringing Bitcoin not just to the masses, the people, but actually to government, you know, to try and transform government. And uh, in doing that, we can't have this kind of crypto anarchist libertarian narrative, which is all about you can now have wealth outside of the system. Government can't track you. Uh, you can do whatever you like. And if government goes and destroys their currency, you're going to be protected. I think that is the wrong notion. And it leads to uh, people trying to create a system that cannot have any kind of uh, purview when it comes to the government. Um, mm. You know, the irony around this as well is, uh, you know, when we come down to the, the, the Bitcoin schism that uh, has been raging over the last few years and came to head in August last year, you know, this notion that um, we need to create this decentralized value that government can't control. And that means we don't want them to have access to those records. We don't want businesses to be involved, but also we want this thing to grow in value. And and, um, you know, I think that that's going to be sort of wishful thinking. If you can create a system that grows in value and yet government and regulators and businesses have no access to, the two will never work it, out. It can't happen. It right? can't happen. So, so you, you're saying that, that, that there isn't necessarily in your mind an adversarial relationship between the way that these banks and traditional institutions and governments and, you know, financial lenders and borrowers and all the rest of it currently – have a control over the, the economy and the way that Bitcoin could help to make that better. You say that they can complement each other mm. rather than that they have to be at opposite. Exactly. Ends. We'll always need companies or banks to issue loans and uh, invest capital and so on. And uh, if they can do it with Bitcoin, you know, with sound money, then we have a, a system that can become stronger. So to me, the, the notion that, again, we don't need the banks to be involved is, is a wrong one. A lot of the banks, what they're doing, and I've been involved with the banks for years now in this space, they're trying to create uh, systems on top of blockchain and forgetting the whole currency thing. And that, I think, is going to be where they go astray. And in fact, we've seen over the years all these, these are proofs of concept, mm. you know, just not going anywhere. It's just because they're not considering the, the currency aspect. Now, of course, that, that makes sense because if you think about a, a money that's not issued by a central bank, it's very politically incorrect. But I think that as we engage our regulators and as they start embracing this idea, I think eventually it will become so useful that they will actually start incorporating it into their their models you know banks will allow people to store bitcoin or they'll they'll uh, provide loans and so on of course the volatility right now is an issue but eventually you know we'll reach saturation and the, the volatility will go down and it will become something that people can use just as sound money do you ever foresee a future where the government will actually allow you to pay tax in bitcoin Yes, uh, that's what I hope. And that's the, the kind of world that I'm trying to create. But there is an element of disintermediation here. There is an element where the banks are going to have to give up a lot of the powers and the authority that they had before. And essentially, I mean, you can, anyone can open a bank. You just have to get a license from the central bank. So how is that in any way more of a foolproof scenario? And we've seen many banks fail, uh, most most especially recently, we've seen this VBS situation, and we heard about African Bank before that. So it's not as if the traditional systems are foolproof either. Clearly, in the future, there will be 
a disintermediation. How do you think becoming your own bank is going to improve people's lives? Well, for some of us, it will be easy to do that, to be your own bank. There's, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. So I think that the vast majority of people won't want to be their own bank. They'll still want a trusted institution to be able to manage their funds, uh, to give them access in, in case they lose their password and so on. So this is not going to become this, this world where every man is an island. They have the ability to, or the only way they can transact and the only way they can store their wealth is without anybody else's help. You know, businesses, this is a, a, a ripe space for businesses to come in and start providing value around Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that the internet was a, a great place when it started. It allowed people to communicate. Um, but we still needed companies to now build value on top of the internet to create search engines and to create uh, social media platforms, to create e-commerce platforms. So this is now where we need to get to. We need to get to a place where Bitcoin is no longer this, this mysterious thing that is scary to the regulators and to business. It becomes something that business embraces. They start adding value. They provide a place where regulators can have an oversight, and then the ecosystem will grow. And this is, again, the, the whole root, really, of the schism between what was the Bitcoin Cash and the Bitcoin Core divide, you know, where uh, Bitcoin Cash is uh, trying to create an environment that businesses can work within and also regulators can work within to try and create a space that everybody can trust that the protocol is stable and solid and uh, now we can start building our businesses on top of it right now bitcoin core sort of is this kind of flowing loose type of thing that says well whatever good idea you can come along with let's go and build that into the protocol but that creates uncertainty for the long term if you think about a business you know if they want to now adopt a protocol they don't want to depend on the whims of a central planner or or a community, or the best developers in the world. They want to know that whatever they're building on top of is stable and sound. And you think Bitcoin Cash is a better way? How's that protocol established? So one of the fundamental things around Bitcoin Cash is that we've got to stick to the original p- protocol. Okay. You know, there's this whole idea of what Satoshi's vision was. Uh, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto, the inventor of Bitcoin, even said in one of his posts that as soon as version one is released, it's set in stone. That mean, doesn't mean that, you know, everything's perfect. Of course, there's going to be bugs. God, this and, sounds like religion, doesn't it? Well, but think about what he's trying to say there. <laughs> he says that when we create this protocol, we have to ensure that it's not just an immutable ledger, because that's obviously one of the important things about blockchain, mm-hmm. but the protocol itself is immutable, if you like. In other words, the way the protocol works, which means now a business can come along and say, all right, great, we've got the stable infrastructure. We're not going to have to change our business models down the line as the protocol changes. We can trust that the protocol is set in stone. Now we can start adding value on top of it. Think about the internet. If suddenly the the internet protocols that uh, drive email and TCP and all that sort of thing, if they changed because of you know some idea, can you imagine the repercussions that would have throughout all the, the world's uh, infrastructure, t- telecommunications infrastructure? Because now businesses are, are having to now change in their software. And can you imagine all the embedded systems that are in place? It's very difficult to change. So we need to depend on a stable infrastructure that we know is not going to deviate from some plan, no matter how small, because it's going to have ripple-up effects, you know, not everything else. So one of the guiding principles around a, a protocol is that 
when the protocol is established, sure, we can fix bugs. Sure, we can create optimizations, but we mustn't change the rules of the protocol. And this is exactly what Bitcoin Core have been doing because they have this notion. It doesn't matter about business. In fact, they're, they're openly hostile to business. You know, they, they don't like the fact that companies like BitPay and so on are, are trying to influence the direction of, of how Bitcoin uh, grows. They don't like business. They don't like that sort of thing. They want to have a stable store of value, and they believe that – if there's an, an efficiency or if there's something they can change in the protocol that makes things easier for them to work with, like, for example, the famous segregated witness, you know, that was something that was there to, to try to create scalability. That changed the protocol fundamentally. Now, can you imagine a business that was built on top of Bitcoin that was depending on those signatures in, in the chain? Now they, they have to change their business. They have to change their business model. Yeah. So this is a, a very important thing about protocol. Just, it's not very different to a government interfering in a currency, really. Exactly. So this is the, the root of the divide. The divide is now between the anarchist libertarians who have this narrative of we want to create a system outside of business and outside of government. It's our gold that grows in value as opposed to the Bitcoin Cash community who said, no, we need a stable protocol that businesses can build upon and we need to engage our regulators. We need to engage our central banks. We need to make sure that everybody is on board. I don't know that – it makes any sense to try and build something completely outside of the system because how do you turn it back into value in the system? Exactly. Right? If, 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 if nobody is accepting it, if no businesses, if no merchants are accepting yeah. the What's currency. What's the use? If government is saying, if we find you with Bitcoin, then we're going to put you in jail. Some countries have done that. How is it ever going to, first of all, attract, you know, the, the, the big money? You know, there's, well, there's a trade, type. trade is, is communication, right? I mean, you've got to be able to communicate. This would be like someone speaking an alien language that none of us understood, and we're trying to figure out what to do. It's not like we'll jump straight to selling and buying stuff from each other. Well, what's very important is that if a government – and you can be as naive as you like – if a government wants to stamp something out or make it difficult for you to engage in, you have no choice. You know, Another thing that Bitcoin, the, the core community, uh, are very excited about is the potential for all these ETFs and institutional money to start coming in, and that's going to obviously moon the price. But think about those institutional investors or the big money, you know, the smart money, the guys who are now thinking about a, a new asset class. Can we invest mm. in such a thing? Are they going to be confident that the protocol is going to be stable and secure for the long term? No. If there is a community that decides what to do, when and where, this is the whole point. Now that we have Bitcoin as a protocol, great. Let's now start focusing on adoption and how to get people into the system, how to create trust, how to create stability. This is what we need to do. So you mentioned a moment ago that we need to have that stability and it needs to be a base upon which we can build everything. When do you think we'll reach that point and maybe have we reached it already? You're talking about mainstreaming it effectively. Well, we're talking about creating an environment that companies can now start actually building cool products on top of Bitcoin, not mm. – now we need to think about, you know, how we can change the protocol to do this, do that. You know, I think the era of the protocol developers is over and now it needs to be the business era where there are now companies, new companies, the Googles of tomorrow, the Facebooks of tomorrow who are going to be building on top of Bitcoin mm -hmm. and creating value. And that's when we're going to get mainstream adoption. And more importantly, 
getting the, the regulators on board. Because if the regulators say, yes, we're fine as a company that you can go and do this, it means that those companies are going to invest capital to start building those products out. Now, I'm a startup, and um, I'm busy uh, trying to build these products, and I have Bitcoin investors. But uh, everybody's not that lucky. If you think about Google, you know, if a regulator came to Google and said, listen, Google, you are welcome now to go and build whatever Bitcoin product you like. Uh, they've got huge amounts of capital. Can you imagine the cool products that can come out? But Google's afraid. Google doesn't think that their regulators are going to allow this, so that they're not willing to commit that capital. This is what we need. And uh, I think as soon as the narrative changes around decentralized store of value outside of the clutches of government, as soon as that changes and it goes into the business realm and the, the commercial realm, that's when we're going to start seeing mainstream adoption. I'm also curious to ask you, because you really are watching a lot of the trends and paying attention to the numbers too, do you have an idea in your head of what kind of critical mass needs to be achieved for this to become the utilitarian thing that you're talking about? Well, that's difficult to say when you talk about critical mass. Are we talking about users? Are we talking about uh, price? Um, perhaps market cap, perhaps users. Mm. I don't know. If one in five people is using it, is that enough? How do we know where that tipping point is? I think when you can go to a, a grocery store and you can buy your groceries, when you can pay your rent, when mm. you can pay Netflix or whatever subscription service that you're using with Bitcoin, then we now have enough to create that critical mass because then people will clearly see the advantages, businesses will see the advantages, mm. and um, slowly it will grow much like the Internet did. And remember, the Internet's taken 20 years to get to this point. Yeah. So I think that it's likely that we could be looking at another 10 years, perhaps, maybe more. Lorraine Gamaroff, thank you so much for talking to us. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Decrypto, brought to you by Luno, the best platform to become educated on all things crypto. Luno makes it safe and easy to buy, store, and learn about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Just visit luno.com forward slash decrypto and sign up to redeem the exclusive promo code if you've listened to this series. This is cliffcentral.com.